Hey, tennis fans who are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Our thanks goes to Hotel X, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada for this episode. And as we speak here, we are wrapping up the final Grand Slam of the season. Yes, the 2023 U.S. Open officially in the books. And mixed feelings now that the final slam of the year is is behind us, but uh, looking forward to this episode and the rest of the tennis season as well. And and to join us today, we're really happy to welcome back to the podcast one of the busiest people in tennis, uh, broadcaster extraordinaire, co-host of the Behind the Racket podcast, and someone who just worked the men's final between Djokovic and Medvedev for U.S. Open Radio. Mike uh, Keisha, thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, wonderful to have you back on with us. No, great to be with you guys. Uh, Gabby Dabrowski winning the women's doubles final right beforehand uh, was a big, big deal. I've gotten to know Gabby over the last couple of years, and obviously Aaron has Canadian ties as well. That was a big, big deal. So I'm really happy for them. But yeah, thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah, we're uh, we're thrilled to have you. And we'll have to definitely ask you about Gabby and Aaron. We'll go with what's, I guess, most fresh in my mind, at least obviously this final between Daniil Medvedev and Novak Djokovic. And uh, just more history here for Novak, slam number 24, and now four times he has won three of the four slams in a calendar year, which is just incredible. Uh, Mike, just generally your your thoughts on the match, and maybe for you personally and professionally, uh, the experience uh, to call such a big match on a big stage. Yeah, I'll, I'll start with that. Um, to To be selected to do a final at a Grand Slam is is an incredible honor. I've been able to do the women's final the last two years. Um, so to get to call the men's final too, to just kind of complete that. I've also done the women's doubles final and the men's doubles final at the U.S. Open. So for me, that's my home slam. Um, when I was a little kid, this is what I wanted to do. And to get to call finals the last three years has been um, an incredible honor. And on top of it, obviously, Novak Djokovic um, winning his 24th slam in that process, right? Um what, what I'm struck with in terms of the tennis today was uh, the incredible, uh, yeah, brave play by Novak in terms of how many times he moved forward today. Um, the serve and volleying was unreal. I mean, everybody talks about that against Daniil Medvedev, right? Just moving forward, taking advantage of that return position. Novak getting himself out of that comfort zone today to step forward and just be so brave consistently with that slider out wide to the deuce court and finding that easy volley. Um, I'm I'm just going to be struck by that. The problem solving with him, with his team, how well they put together a game plan today uh, to put himself in just the right, uh, you know, right path for success. I mean, there's a reason why he's won 24 Grand Slam titles. It was just masterful to see today. So incredibly intelligent. And as you mentioned, adapting and ever evolving. And that's what's allowed him to stay at the very top of, of the men's game and the history of the men's game as well. And Medvedev said it afterwards, just how much Djokovic you know, learns from a, a previous encounter and defeat. It's amazing that Medvedev was able to beat him in straights a couple of years ago mm. when you look at what happened today out there. And and look what he's doing. I mean, three out of four slams, as Ben mentioned, uh, in 2021 and 2023. Who knows what he could have done last year if he played the Aussie Open, the U.S. Open as well. You know, they mentioned that he's the oldest winner, men's winner of the U.S. Open. And yet, boy, he doesn't look old at all when you see him out there. What, what impresses you the most about what Novak is continuing to do as he is indeed getting older? 
I think for me, very, it, it really revolves around how every single thing that he does has purpose. Um, there is no loose movement whatsoever. There's no loose thought from point to point at the changeovers. Everything is done and it's measured. Um, at 36 years of age, as somebody who's past that um, in my own age, you can't get away with very much, right? Like your your body starts to, to fall apart a little bit, but every single thing he does has a singular purpose. And that is to put himself in the best chance for success on a tennis court. Um, I, everything that he did today, I, I also called his match against Ben Shelton. There's so much that go, goes into it to get him through in straight sets, to lessen the load on his body, to lessen the load on his mind. There's such singular focus that is something I, you know, I, I'm every, my brain is just going 18 different ways every Sunday. I, I can't fathom how well he is just singularly geared for success on a tennis court. It is amazing to watch. There's no question in my mind, he's the greatest player we've ever seen on the men's side. And it's, it's a far jump. Um, and, and that is with, all due respect to Nova, uh, to excuse me, to Rafa, to Roger, this man, what he is able to do every single time he steps on a court is just—it's truly unfathomable. I'm not sure if you're giving yourself enough credit when you say your brain's going 18 different ways because I know how much <laughs> preparation you put into your work. I saw the Twitter post with the different color-coded uh, notes there yeah. for Medvedev and for Djokovic. I really relate to that as well uh, when i'm preparing for things with ben i like to put things in bold and organize our <laughs> prep sheet in just a certain way uh what's the challenge for you calling a match of that epic proportion on the radio where your audience for the most part isn't likely watching the action and what do you enjoy most about that experience of bringing those matches to life for your listeners yeah the radio is a, is a completely different challenge um i i do a plenty of television commentary, but the radio is a completely different level in terms of having to call. You've never listened and North American listeners, we, we, we don't have a lot of them. They're mostly European listeners, but it is truly ball by ball, shot by shot um, commentary. I think the enjoyable part is that there is room for you to breathe. It's room for you to, as a broadcaster, have some personality, um, bring yourself into it just a little bit and actually have some time to talk um, through some of the str uh, the strategy that each player is employing. Um, uh, obviously, the challenge is just staying engaged because um, it's constant. That second set tonight was an hour and 44 minutes um, with the average rally length. I think it ended up at about 6.6 .6 shots per rally, which is absurd. I mean, the quality of that second set was absurd. Oh, um, so, yeah, that 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 is the the challenge and the beauty of it right um we we got such a, a great compliment right afterwards that somebody who was listening said you know i i didn't feel like i needed to watch because i could really visualize everything that you were saying um it is a different challenge i do it at the australian open as well um we have a lot of might not think about this there are a lot of blind tennis fans who you know need this radio component to be able to really fully understand what's happening right it's such an honor to be able to do that um but but on top of it i mean in terms of the moment um you know i i two years ago i did emma radicanu and layla 
um, that that moment felt so special just because of the, you know, what the, those two young women going through this, you know, epic run and into the finals. That felt like a moment. This one felt um, a little bit different just because, again, you have Novak, the history every time he gets to one of these Grand Slam finals, it is it is something truly special. And you have to honor that at every moment of your broadcast to understand what he's doing. I mean, 50 percent of the turn the grand slam tournaments he's entered he's reached the final it, it's unreal mind-boggling I, I andy roddick we, he wasn't mic'd up but when he handed him the trophy he's just like i don't know how the hell you're doing this and it's just like yeah i i don't either i mean that is it's truly you know as a broadcaster and you guys understand this as well you have to stay in the moment you have to stay focused on the present and what is happening in front of you so that you're adequately bringing that to your listener, your viewer, there's no way any broadcaster has the ability to really truly summarize what 24 Grand Slams means. It's it's just truly, I've said it before and I'll say it, it's unfathomable what Novak Djokovic is doing. Yeah, that's that's really well said. And I, I think sometimes we almost take it for granted. We see we see, you know, whether it's Novak, Rafa or Rogers lifting these trophies at the end end of a Grand Slam. And you think, well, it's one of these guys again. I, I mean, that's not normal. <laughs> it's, it's it's not. It's, not. it's really I mean, not. You think about it, too. I mean, Serena, what what she did, we we've I mean, I'm, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. It, it, what we just have experienced over the last 20 years is just it's nuts. It's truly nuts. The incredible greatness that we've gotten to witness over the last couple of years. I mean, the women's side has gotten a little bit more diverse. We're seeing, a, you know, more and more opportunities. I mean, Coco Golf, what that can do for American tennis, I, I can't begin to think about it. But uh, yeah, the men's side, Novak, Roger, Rafa, there, there are no words to describe it. It's just incredible. Yeah, it's uh, certainly unprecedented. Uh, I mean, you, you segue to basi- basically because uh, we obviously want to talk about Coco Goff and uh, becoming the first American teen to win the Open since Serena back in 1999. And just such a phenomenal summer that she's had. I guess my question is, what do you think are maybe the qualities in Coco's game that makes her so special and maybe the qualities that will probably or potentially keep her at the top of the women's game for years to come. Yeah. Defense is number one, right? That speed is incredible. Um, the, the level of competition and the level of investment in each and every point um, never quits on a single point, never quits on a single game. That's, that's the first thing that stands out, right? Um, her, her ability to, she, she continues to grow within her game. There's still, a jump that is capable for her. Obviously, her adjustment within the match to start taking and getting, giving herself a little bit more time for that forehand, the adjustment that she made and problem solved for that, um, to have that kind of a brain at the age of 19, that ability to problem solve at the age of 19. Um, I mean, you guys know she seems like a veteran, right? At the age of 19, she's been around for four or five years. We, we know that she problem solved so incredibly well. That's going to serve her incredibly well because I think what will continue to progress as part of her game is actually her offensive capability. Um, I think I think she's going to be get to this point in the next couple of years where there's more efficiency 
um, from set to set, from match to match, so that it's not so reliant on her defense because, as we're talking about with Novak, right, the, the body wears down as you progress in your, your age. I think that's going to be the, the big step forward for her is just to dictate and dominate a little bit more as she gets to the fourth round, as she gets to the quarterfinals. But more than anything else, what I'm struck with and and as, as an American here and what it means for an American audience, her humanity is is the thing that stands out. Um, the, the fact that she is such a, a relatable human being, um, the fact that people can engage with her and she is such an engaging human as well. You know, on the men's side as well, we've been so lucky with, with Ben Shelton, with obviously the run that he had, Chris Eubanks. Um, I, I don't think it's... It needs to be pointed out that these are African Americans, um, that they are the most engaging personalities that we have uh, in American tennis. Um, and and I, I think that's the part that's going to stand out for me. I've, I've had the opportunity to talk with Coco in a, in a more intimate setting because of my friendship with Chris Eubanks. Um, she, she is that kind of a human who wants to make sure she has time for fans, make sure when she does her media engagements that she is involved um and, and that will matter in, in you know in terms of the growth of the game here in the states in terms of the growth of, of the game worldwide she she is passionate about people and yeah we can talk a lot about her game but yeah that that humanity component i can't say enough about it she's a, a fantastic person yeah, well said. And Coco and Chris Eubanks have both been guests with us here on Matchpoint Canada. And so we've seen firsthand just, uh, you know, how genuine both of those individuals are. Um, Coco's big win, the most number of American men making it to the round of 16 and quarterfinals in a number of years in New York. And I got to say, we're kind of jealous of the uh, success and the depth <laughs> that, that you're showing down there in the States. That's what we grew up with seeing. But now it seems like there's a, a resurgence. So I guess plenty of reason for optimism if you're an American tennis fan right now, isn't there, Mike? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the depth on the on the men's side, I mean, listen, the women have been holding it down for a good 10, 15, 20 years since since Roddick last won a, a Grand Slam. Um, I, I firmly believe and, and listen, we have a pretty dominant on the men's side, pretty dominant top three right now with Daniil and, and Carlos and, and Novak. There's no doubt about it. But listen, three American men in the top 15. Uh, ben Shelton is now crept into the top 20. Um, it is a matter of time before we get an American man um, to to win a Grand Slam. I, I firmly believe that. Um, that that being said, I mean, listen, uh, I, I've gotten to know. Listen, Felix and and Dennis are are one thing, and hopefully both of them. Uh, Felix has been so heartbreaking. I mean, I'm listen. I know I'm not saying anything to you guys, right? But like, it's been so heartbreaking to see him struggle as much as as he has through this summer, especially. Dennis, I'm, I feel confident in what he's going to be able to do once he returns from injury. But I mean, Diallo is such a good player. Galono is such a good player. You guys are, you guys are in great shape. I mean, it's like you know we have a bigger population that's going to happen. Um, but well, well, I'm glad you say that because I got to say, Mike, like we are feeling a little bit uh, like pushing the panic button here in Canada. You know, we had them. <laughs> tease us with some sure. exciting results and we've had Bianca obviously win the you know the first single slam for for Canadians nice to see what Gabby and Aaron Rout lifted in doubles of course and not trying to diminish that but on the single side which typically gets the most attention Dennis Felix Layla and Bianca have been in a bit of a tail slide this year you're you're confident that they're going to shake it uh, shake it off eh they're so young i mean like we you know we all kind of forget that right they're they're still so incredibly young i i i have Dennis is a little bit more of a, a 
question mark for me. Um, and obviously Bianca's health is another massive question mark, obviously. I am still so, I, I would buy every stock I possibly could of Felix Auger-Aliassime right now. I would, everything I possibly could. I have such respect for his brain. I have such respect for his work ethic. Um, it's it, seeing him uh, as I've gotten to doing some work for ATP Media over the last two years of being at practice sessions and just seeing how hard he works. I fully believe in his ability to get to this next level. I think we all have in our, you know, we, we kind of in tennis media, we kind of expect progress to be linear. His progress right now is not linear and that's okay. He's still so young. Everything is built for success. And I, I feel very confident Felix is going to be back inside. I, I, I think 2024 for him, health concerns being the, the one caveat, I feel firmly confident that he is going to be inside the top five next year. And I have no questions about that. Like wow. I, I, you can see even these tournaments where he loses first round, he's putting his head down and doing the work, sticking around a little bit afterwards to make sure he puts in the time on court. It's been a miserable year, but I feel firmly confident specifically in Felix that he's going to be back at the top of the game next year. You're going to make a, a lot of Canadian friends after this episode, Mike. <laughs> I hope so. I hope <laughs> yeah. so. Um, I, I want to circle back to Ben Shelton for a moment, actually, who will debut in the top 20. And uh, not, not that we normally talk drama on this podcast, but everybody was talking about it. Um, you know, it was all over tennis Twitter. It was all over tennis Reddit. Uh, but his his quarterfinal against Francis Tiafo, he does the hang up the phone celebration, which was, a, I guess, a tribute to a hurdler Grant Holloway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a very chippy semifinal match with Novak Djokovic, Djokovic defeats him in straight sets, gives it right back to him, mocks him by uh, doing the hang up the phone uh, celebration after winning in straight sets. Very cold handshake. You could tell yeah. Shelton was none too pleased. You know, a lot of people have had thoughts on on this interaction. What are your thoughts on the back and forth? Is it good for the sport? Is it yes. bad for the sport? No. <laughs> yes, it's fantastic for the sport. There you go. Um, I I can I can say, and I don't know if it's the same for you. And and part of it is, uh, I I got very close to Ben last year as he was doing all of the challengers here in the states at the back end of the year, winning the last three and in, in, indoors. I got I'm very lucky. I got very close to Ben. So I feel like I know him pretty well. Seeing his face on that handshake, he was livid. Mm-hmm. He was he handled it very well in press, you know, saying all the right things of, you know, uh, uh, imitation of sincerest form of flattery, all of that. Fantastic. He was mad. Uh, what I do know is people who know that I'm I've been close with Ben, I got so many texts right after that on Friday. Can you believe he did that? Can you? People were engaged and invested in the tennis. New eyes were on the sport. And on top of it, like, that's great. He, he took it. Novak at 36. He, I know people on, on Reddit. I know people on Twitter were saying it was petty, especially for the, the greatest champion on the men's side. Forget it. It was fantastic. He, he said, all right, I took this young man's best shot. This young man's going to be in the top 10 very soon. I took his best shot. And I hung up the phone on him. I beat him in straight sets. That's great. It's good drama. It's a, a lighthearted drama. I imagine that, that when they have an interaction at some point soon, they're, you know, that it's going to be fine. It's 
those are the kind of things if if we're talking about it in football and basketball that's par for the course yeah it's yeah i want i want to chime in just real quick too and say i didn't mind it one bit either and you know it wasn't derogatory it wasn't oh. over the line it was kind of playful i like yes. that Djokovic also had the American crowd against him throughout that match. So he had a lot of yes. things he was dealing with. And in the heat of the moment, uh, you know, he acted in that way. But I don't think, you know, just because Roger Federer or Rafa Nadal wouldn't have done it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. Correct. And uh, I'm agreeing with you, Mike. Uh, two out of two Mikes agree that uh, it's good <laughs> for the game. Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was it was actually a lot of fun to see it. And I was calling it at the time. And, you know, like the initial reaction was like, without swearing, I was like, Holy crap! I can't believe <laughs> Novak Djokovic just did that. But like, as as I kind of processed, and I, this morning I had the opportunity to talk to Chris Eubanks. We're, we're all mutual friends with Ben, and it was the same thing for Chris too. It was just like the initial reactions, just like holy moly, I like mind blown. But then it was just like this is great. Everybody's talking about tennis. I I, I don't know about you guys, I, like the amount of celebrities at the U.S. Open this year was nuts. Mm -hmm. Complete, like, Lil Wayne is at the final. Like, it's bringing new eyes to this sport. It's bringing new energy to the sport. It's fantastic. And it's it's not done, as you said, like, it's not done in a harmful, disrespectful way. It was just a celebration. And I, I think it's fantastic for the sport. And we're, like, our, the, the, the Q rating, right? Like, that cool rating, if you will, is just, like, continues to rise with tennis. And that's, amazing and it just continue it'll bring money into the sport new viewers new listeners everything about it was fantastic yeah it, exactly and uh also I, I think one great aspect too is i already see these big debates of people like i love ben shelton and his fiery attitudes like i hate ben shelton he's so arrogant this, this is great right. like i i love have any opinion you want if you're talking about tennis and tuning in that is a positive um as we wrap up, Michael, I'll just ask you uh, what's next for you on the tennis season in terms of, of your coverage and, and maybe some things you'll you'll be covering in the fall. Yeah, for me, I'm actually I have six challengers uh, coming up wow. over the next 10 weeks. Um, we have some really fun ones coming up. Charleston, South Carolina. Then we have two in Northern California. Um, and then the three indoors, Ben Shelton won all three of them last year in, in uh, Charlottesville, Knoxville, and then Champaign, Illinois. Um, but I, I understand the Canadian challengers. There are going to be a few of those coming up at the end of the year as well, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, it's, I, I talked to Lexi Gallarneau just for a couple minutes, um, obviously part of the Davis Cup team, uh, the champions for you guys. Uh, he's he's going to be playing up there. I know Vashik is planning on playing up there as well. I I, I want to have a, a good long chat with uh, Vashik about PTPA here in the yeah. next couple of weeks. That's something I'm I'm going to reach out to him about um, for for my own podcast, which is also part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Like you guys, um, a lot of a lot of drama and intrigue with that PTPA and how it's how it's progressing because it's it feels like we're going to be coming to a forefront. I mean, so much drama and, and obviously I know you guys have talked about this as well, but with the Saudi investment. There's a lot of drama behind the scenes right now, um, and I'm I'm really fascinated to see Vashik and, and Novak how they're handling things with the PTPA and and what that might mean over the next couple of years. So um, I'm I'm really excited to get back to Challenger tennis because I don't think there's there it's such a pure um, form of our sport. Like when there's when those matches mean so much in first round, second round, um, I'm really excited to get back to it. 
Yeah, so are we. We've got the Tevlin Challenger here in Toronto, which happens, I believe, in October every year. And it's a nice time to have that grassroots kind of tennis and, and players who are either still trying to make a career of it or the young up-and-comers. I mean, we've seen Bianca and Layla play there before, so always very excited by that as well. Um, Mike, so great to have you back on the podcast and for me, a first time speaking with you. I really regret missing um, seeing you in person while you are in Toronto this summer, yeah. but you know, you were super busy and so were me and Ben. So we'll have to correct that the next time you're here. But uh, on behalf of Ben and myself and all our listeners, and especially given your long, long day in New York, um, you know, kudos. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. No, I really appreciate it. And I and I mean it. I listen to you guys every week. Um, your your guys, your passion um, for tennis, especially Canadian tennis in particular. I, I just I love it so much. Um, I know the players love it and value what you guys do as well. And that doesn't go unnoticed. Um, and again, congratulations to Gabby Dabrowski, who's one of my favorite people in, in the sport of tennis. And I'm, I'm glad you guys have a, a Grand Slam champion coming out of the U.S. Open. Now, that that means a lot. There he goes, broadcaster Mike Cation. And Mike, as we carry on and chat a little bit more in terms of women's tennis, uh, some changing of the guard in terms of rankings uh, the world number one now belonging to Arena Sabalenka officially, uh, who, of course, lost that final in three sets to Coco Koff, but Iga Sviantek unable to defend her title going out in this tournament. And I'm just amazed by the top four right now in the WTA. We have Arena Sabalenka first, Iga Sviantek second, Coco Goff moving up to number three with this U.S. Open title, and Elena Rybakina is world number four. Now, these four players have won six of the last seven majors dating back to the French Open last year. Absolutely love it and love the changing of the guard on the women's side. I mean, Iga Sviantek, world number one for 75 weeks. Uh, that's no small chunk of change right there. And these women are just bringing the sport to new levels. What we saw in that final between Sabalenka and Coco Goff was terrific. Like Mike said, how Coco was able to sort of pivot and, and re-strategize in the middle of that match and and turn things around because boy, that first set looked just pretty dominant from Sabalenka who looked like she might cruise to uh, a second slam title this year. I'm really excited for the WTA finals. And, you know, often for me by the end of a tennis season, as much as I love the sport, as much as I'm passionate about it, it's hard to sustain that interest for 11, almost 12 months of the year. But I got to say with the way these women have been playing, and now the changing of the, the number one ranking. I think I'm as excited for this year-end WTA, you know, top eight women final uh, as I've ever been almost. Yeah, and Noah, the the great thing as well, and I mean, Mike Cation alluded to the fact uh, of discussions of Saudi investment, and there were fears or uh, a number of people were discussing of the possibility of seeing the WTA finals in Saudi Arabia. That will not be the case this fall as Cancun, Mexico will be hosting the event, which I think is great exposure for the women's event uh mexican tennis fans are incredible uh, they're amazing seen that. those tennis we, fans there, oh we, yeah we've seen it over the years especially Acapulco. watching lanny fernandez who has been Monterey. just absolutely embraced by them in her um you know finalist and championship appearances there they're mm -hmm. a great crowd it always seems pumping uh, the energy level through the roof i would love to go down there and watch a few of those tournaments because those fans are real tennis fans 
Oh, un undoubtedly. And uh, so that that's great that they have a location finalized already because it was kind of late to the game uh, when it was played in Texas last year. Circling back to Gabby Dabrowski, she and Aaron Routliff winning uh, their first ever women's doubles major. And for Gabby, it's her third career slam because she does have two in mixed doubles. But they defeat Laura Siegemund and Vera Zvonareva 7-6-6-3 in the final. I mean, what a pairing. Uh, these two teaming up in, in Montreal and they've just clicked and we should note like Aaron Routliff uh, a good portion of her childhood and her years have been spent in Canada and in fact in in Caledon Ontario so there's she's very much a Canadian at heart as well uh, but originally born in New Zealand so this is a uh, special to see these two paired up and, and playing so great and, and getting a title like this. I mean, it feels like an all-Canadian duo to me. I don't see Aaron Routliff as a New Zealander or not solely a New Zealander anyways. And when we had her on the podcast last year, she told the really interesting story about how her parents were on a sailing trip around the world. And it just so happened that they stopped in New Zealand and that's where she happened to be born. But uh, otherwise, very much uh, consider her uh, part of our uh, Maple Leaf crew here. And what a nice compliment to see the two together who only joined up earlier this summer. This is only the fourth event They've played together, their first title together. And, you know, for both of them, I'm so happy. For Erin, I mean, we've seen her, speaking of the Tevlin Challenger, I've seen her play that Tevlin Challenger. She won it back in 2017 in doubles. And to really, you know, sort of grind her way through those years and now establish herself firmly as a legit top WTA doubles player. He's so happy for her. And for Gabby Dabrowski, who by her own admission, had sort of been struggling this year. Switching up partners, started the year with uh, Juliana Olmos, who she was at the mm -hmm. WTA finals with a year ago. Then she got back together with Luisa Stefani. They had success going deep at the U.S. Open a couple of years ago uh, and now settling in with Aaron Routliff, who before this tournament, the two had already decided they're going to see out the rest of 2023 together. Now they've got a legit shot at making the top eight, along also with Leila Annie Fernandez and Taylor Townsend they defeated en route to the title in fact that was their most difficult match in a tight third set tie break uh, to move on from I believe that was the round of 16 so for Gabby who had uh, sort of been struggling for Aaron Routlift who's never experienced a moment like this before um, what a wonderful uh, end to the U.S. Open for Canadians in an otherwise challenging tournament for uh, for for the Canucks. Yeah, well said. And uh, Gabby Dureski with uh, this doubles result returns to the top 10 of the doubles ranking. Just a couple more notes on on the women's side. I want to give some love actually to Madison Keys because we didn't discuss her on last week's podcast for her to have such an incredible run, you know, six years after uh, making the finals of the U.S. Open. And, you know, we, we've talked about the impressive success of American tennis, but getting two of your final four Americans on the women's side and Madison Keys letting a match slip away against Serena Sabalenka, winning that first set six love. And she was ahead five, three in the second set Sabalenka rallying to win love six, seven, six, seven, six winning in the super tie break at the end. And keys was so emotional and defeat in the press conference, but uh, you know, it's, it was great to see her compete at this level again, um, which reminds, I, I think sort of reminds like there's so many great players on the women's tour that we've almost forgotten about still capable of these big time runs. Yeah, and she's only 28 years old, right? I mean, it feels like she's been around longer. She's had that final appearance against Sloane Stevens. Also uh, went deep at the French Open, did she not, a few years ago, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what a great tournament. I mean, she knocked off the Wimbledon champ. She knocked off fellow American and third seed Jessica Pagula, 6-1, 6-3. My goodness, what a scoreline um, to, to keep Pagula from advancing deep at a slam, perhaps yet again. 
uh, took out uh, Samsonova uh, earlier as well, a tough young player. And this is going to put her, I mean, if she's the 17th seed, I don't have the live rankings, but this is going to put her, what, closer to the, the top 10, you would imagine. So just going to continue to open doors for her as the season goes along. And, you know, to echo what you said, again, it just does show the depth on the women's tour that uh, so many combinations, permutations who could end up in the finals. And so many of those combinations would make for excellent finals, which I think is a real testament to the strength of the, the women's game. And she's back up to uh, world number 11. A word from our sponsor, uh, Hotel X, before we wrap on the men's side. Looking for the perfect urban getaway for your next family vacation? Look no further than Hotel X Toronto, the city's premier urban resort with its state-of-the-art fitness facility, 10XTO, and four indoor tennis courts. There's something for everyone in the family. That's not all Hotel X has to offer with luxurious amenities from the rooftop pool to the award-winning Gurlane Spa from the 200 150 seat cinema to the three level sky bar there is so much to see and do all under one roof whether you're visiting toronto for business or pleasure hotel x is the perfect choice for families and individuals alike book your stay at toronto's only urban resort hotel x toronto experience the extraordinary i mean we touched on this with mike that novak djokovic returning to that number one ranking uh, where he's held it, I mean, 389 weeks. And now you look at this sizable gap here, uh, where, of course, Carlos Alcaraz unable to defend that U.S. Open title, losing points. Djokovic gaining 2,000 points from this victory because, of course, he was unable to compete last year due to the vaccination status. And I have to think nobody's wrestling this away from him uh, for the rest of the year. And he's going to be quite happy about that, as are all of his fans. Uh, he said it before. He's, he's playing for history. That's why he's going to continue going to get more major titles. Increase that already record of number of weeks as uh, number one in the men's tour. Uh, can he catch Jimmy Connors' uh, title record of 109? He's got, what, 96 now. So he's certainly getting there. I have a couple more years. I don't see why not uh, for him to to get that one as well. So the sky's the limit. And when he plays the way he did, uh, you know, even in Cincinnati, when he looked a little fatigued in that opening set, and even in the second set, when certainly, I mean, anyone would be fatigued by those points and rallies that he was having with Medvedev. But otherwise, for 36 years old, this guy is in absolutely incredible shape. Um, No reason to, you know, why he couldn't continue. Brad Gilbert, I think, was saying, before the finals tonight, like why not two, three more years and five to seven, if not more grand slam titles, like nothing would surprise me with this guy. Yeah. And uh, look, I, I think maybe we made the mistake of kind of penciling in the final that we anticipated two weeks ago. Everybody thought we were getting Carlitos Novak. We Same certainly, here. yeah, we certainly thought that when the semifinals came out, I did give a puncher's chance to Danil Medvedev thinking, you know, he's so talented and so great, especially on the hard courts and at the U.S. Open, that maybe tactically, if he figures something out against Carlos Alcaraz, he'll have a chance. And I have to give you know immense credit to him. He played the match of his life in that semifinal, beating Alcaraz in four sets. I've never seen him play that well ever. I mean, you can maybe argue that well, it was 11 out of 10. He said 11 out of 10. Pretty <laughs> I think good. he even called it 12 out of 10. Oh, 12 out of 10. Okay. Uh, yeah. He said he needed to play 11 out of 10 and he was able to play 12 out of 10. I mean, right. he was running line to line, painting lines. The defense was incredible. He was attacking at the right times. He really, I mean, he had to play outside of himself to defeat Carlos Alcaraz, which is kind of a compliment in a way to Carlitos. Um, do you think Alcaraz bounces back from this pretty quickly? 
Absolutely not concerned about it in the least. The fact that, you know, even late in that match when Alcaraz was trying to get back into it and they had this one lengthy game that went over 10 minutes long, um, he's still smiling out there. You know, he's got a smirk on his face. He's enjoying the moment. He's soaking it up. Yeah, he knows that maybe it's not going to go his way, but he's having fun doing it. And, you know, we we heard from Coco Goff having so much fun playing tennis again and, and attributed a lot of that to, you know, the new members of her team as well, including Brad Gilbert. So there's something to be said for players who you can tell are enjoying themselves out there. And that's what gives me all the confidence in the world that uh, Carlos can be just fine. And uh, as we move into the fall and indoor hardcourt season, uh, we have Davis Cup on the horizon, Canada landing in Group A alongside Sweden, Italy, and Chile. Uh, Dennis Shapovalov, it looks like he's circled this as kind of his return place after suffering that injury at Wimbledon. What are your expectations? It feels like he kind of has to lead this squad. Yeah, well, I'm happy to hear that it seems like he's He's going to give it a go. So that's good because that knee injury has kept him out of action since Wimbledon missing the entire hardcourt swing this summer, including his hometown National Bank Open. Uh, but even Chapo, who's rusty uh, in Davis Cup competition, I will take that because he's a previous champion. He plays great when he's representing his country. Him and Vashik have terrific chemistry together. And uh, so having him there gives us a shot. Without him there, it's a big ask for the youngsters of Gallarno, Diallo, along with Vashik, who hasn't up until recently felt healthy this year. Uh, but I think with Chapo there, um, things are possible. There's a chance at least. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think they did land, I would say, in a softer group, honestly. Uh, you, you really couldn't ask for a better group. I, I think in terms of Sweden, who actually lost one of the Emer brothers to a suspension and someone who announced his retirement. Italy, obviously, they have some great talent with uh, Senego, Musetti, Berrettini. I, I'm not sure all those players have confirmed. And Chile does have Nicolas Jari and Christian Guerra and some talents there, but certainly a lot of opportunity. And if Vashik is healthy and can especially contribute in doubles, that will make a huge difference. Could be a big opportunity, I think, for Gabriel Diallo maybe to play a role in singles. As we wrap up, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we announced we had a contest to win a Danil Medvedev signed ball. Our winner is at Subha26. Uh, so we will drop you a message and get that tennis ball to you. Our thanks again goes out to Hotel X, the official hotel of Matchpoint Canada. And guys, stay tuned for a lot of Davis Cup coverage. Uh, interviews will be coming from both Mike and myself in the coming week. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada, guys. We will talk to you next time.